Hey, remember Green Bean? It's funny that I was thinking about that the other day when I was listening to your podcast, actually, Green Bean. You would get these these coffees that, I don't even know if it, you could call it coffee. It was just like something they put in a cup that was like super like sweet. And I'm sure there was a ton of caffeine in it, but I don't know. The sugar content had to be like, you know, through the roof, probably about 5,000 calories in a cup. We, they called it something fancy, right? Like they call it like a, I don't know, mocha something. Matri right? and I were talking about this earlier today. What, like, it, was, <laughs> it was like syrup. I called, and a, it, I called yeah. it a calorie supernova. I was, just <laughs> thinking, I was just thinking how to describe tour junk food to somebody who's uninitiated. And I think I, think I got the perfect kind of poetic sort of description you could run a fucking marathon like literally a marathon every day of tour but if you had one spunkmeyer muffin and one green bean mocha chai latte slushy you would gain weight by the end of your fucking tour i don't know why they're not feeling using that for tour de france or something like that like you i'm pretty sure you could go a long way on a on a spunkmeyer muffin and uh Paired up with a uh, a chaser of a green bean beverage. When I was working for the minister, uh, one of the um, uh, one of uh, my colleagues uh, was actually deployed uh, overseas around the same time that that we were there, and she gave me this sleeve. Uh, nobody can see it but us, but this green beans coffee sleeve from Afghanistan, and on the back of it, it says. Green Beans has become a sanctuary for me and my friends, a place to hang out, relax, and forget about the war outside. <laughs> Just outrageous. I was, I was into their iced chai lattes. I used to go. Oh, there. yeah, that was good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Good 5, change, you know. Calories. <laughs> you had to buy it. Like, if you, if you came back to Capital, you had to buy something like that. Because it was like, if you're out and it's like, you, it, you didn't even like, it didn't even matter if you liked it or not. You just buy it because it's like something other than what you're used to consuming. And you're sitting around and you're just like getting wired and sugared up. And <laughs> it's all you, know, you had, right? Shit. Yeah. It's all you had. You can't take, you take everything else, but you can't take away my Spunkmeyer muffin. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Maciej. And I'm Matt. And this is a podcast called Veteranex. Today marks season two, episode one. And we have my friend Nathan Justice, who has two tours to Afghanistan. And we are very lucky to have him. Nate, welcome to the show. So mm. how long you been out now? That's a good question. Four, four years now? Four years? Four years, yeah. How did it feel like knowing that you were leaving the military? Well, it was, you know, my transition was a little different than most guys because I OT'd. So I got out of the infantry and I, I went firefighter and it almost felt like I, I was leaving at that point. Because when you get out of the infantry, you, you finish in Afghanistan, you, you finish from the infantry and it's just kind of like, you know, like, where's the brotherhood? Where's the, you know, um, yeah. And it wasn't the same when I was, when I was a firefighter, it wasn't the same, you know, I was in the military, um, but you know, I was in the air force and they don't do things exactly the same way. You know what I mean? They, they care more about things like making Christmas cards for your bosses 
mother or something like that than, you know, doing your job and stuff like that. So that's what I found, you know, um, but yeah, completely different culture. Right. And, and so, um, and then I started the process of, of, um, releasing and, and so getting out of the military at first, you know, I was like, I was in a good place, I think mentally when I, when I left, uh, or starting to get into a good place, but then, um, it hit me probably a year and a half later, I was like lost. Like, I was like, what did I do? You know, it's, it's, this is it. Like, you know, I'm kind of lost. I felt like I didn't have a purpose. That's when I realized it was more than just a job. I know that's kind of sounds cliche, like, you know, bullshit kind of thing, but it's actually real. Like, it's like my, it felt like something was ripped from me. Nate, did you plan on like OTing as like a, you know, a, a, a small step towards releasing or were you like, nah, I want to change trades and, and do that for the foreseeable future, but it didn't pan out that way. Well, I knew that my, uh, you know, I mentally, I was probably done with, with deployments and in the infantry and stuff like that. And I wanted, you know, I, I started a family and this, and I, so I wanted a, uh, a job that was a little bit more, conducive to family life i wanted to um get a trade you know maybe do something a little bit a better go right and so i didn't view it as uh i wasn't looking at it as a way to get out i was looking at it as a way to kind of transition but um it ended up i ended up leaving the military through that trade so how was your first year once you got out on civvy street like what'd you do for work i take the opposite road a lot of times that, that a lot of people do and so they, they gave me the choice between going to basically university. Right. And then I, I came up with this other plan, this, this kind of master plan to follow around um, probably one of the best strength and conditioning coaches in the world. And I wanted to learn directly from him um, how he was turning out, you know, multiple athletes and this and that. So I, um, you know, basically had this crazy proposal where I was going to go to Spain and all this stuff. And I could, and they said, yes, to me. So I, I ended up doing that. So I, I, my first year out, I was like traveling the world and learning from um, one of the best names. He's actually passed away now. His name's Charles Paulquin. And so, um, yeah, I was everywhere in Europe, all that stuff, keeping really busy um, my first year out and just learning um, basically about strength and conditioning. Cause that was a big part of how I um, recovered from a lot of things is, as I felt like if I pushed my body, even if my mind wasn't there, my mind would eventually catch up. And, you know, it's just like doing the old, you know, we'd go to Houston's on Thursday night, showing up Friday and then hung over and then doing that run or whatever. And it's like, you know, it's surprising what your body can do. And then eventually when you're done the run, you're like, man, I feel good. Like, how did that happen? Like, don't ask me to do that now though. It'd be a different story, but me neither, man. (laughs) did, Did you have to fight? them to say yes or they they were just like yeah okay no i didn't i I think i had a guy that was like kind of just given up on his like his his <laughs> career he just signed off on it he's just like yeah whatever okay like because i was like adamant <laughs> i wanted to do it. and i think he was retired i think i was like his last case so he did <laughs> he just signed it off on it right so um Amazing. Yeah. It reminds me of the Simpsons. I think there's a guy who's like, no, 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 wait, I'm I'm trying to get fired. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, let's just send this kid to Spain, man. Like I'm having a yeah, run. yeah. He's like, he's like, I'm out of here. Well, they didn't. I had to pay for a lot of it. Like I had to pay for the travel. I had to pay for a lot of things. But I mean, the course um, was covered, so that that was great. And 
you know, in uh, through that and meeting people, I got involved with uh, a business that we started, my wife and I started working online and we've been doing that as our full-time income, like basically earning money online for the past, since I got out of the military. And, you know, we did, we did extremely well with that. And now I've come full circle back into the strength and conditioning world. So it's, it's, yeah, it's been quite the journey doing things I never thought I would do. Um, but you know, all the stuff that we learned in the military really, uh, pays off, you know, as we were kind of talking about before this, you know, that mindset and a lot of things that we learn apply to business and apply to life and can push you because we spent a lot of time talking about the negatives. Right. And, and that's true, right. You can get sucked into a hole and all that stuff, but it, if you apply it and you can turn it around, it can really, really help you succeed in other areas of life. For sure. So you're like super, you, you like, you guys are like, a, and I know that this is like you from the outside, but you guys are like a model family, right? Like you do everything together. It's obvious that you and Anna are super involved with your boys. Like it's, it's, it's beautiful. You have a beautiful family, but I can imagine that like Thanks. throughout this transition, oh, they're incredible. Uh, yeah. Throughout this transition, um, you know, strains with your, with, there must've been strains on your relationship and, and strains with your family and, uh, and with your friends. What did that look like for you? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, you know, I'm, I'm married to like a very strong, independent, but empathetic and, and, um, just tough, uh, and smart woman. Right. And she's stood by, like she stood by me through everything. I probably wouldn't be here talking to you guys if it wasn't for her. Right. And, and so, um, I can't say enough about her. Like she is, she's so awesome. And, and, you know, she's helped me out through, through so much, you know, just by, by being there, by even setting boundaries, she's very strong and she knows her own, you know, um, she's set tough love, right. Tough love. She's showed me tough love before. And, and that has really, really helped me to, to get going. But to answer your question. Yeah. I mean, we've had our, we've had our moments, we've had a rough patches when I got back from overseas um the second time I basically shut down like on her we were newly I got married went right overseas and then came back home to a wife um you know she got knocked up and I was a disaster and that's how we started off our story right and and so like I was completely withdrawn from her and this and that but you know she loved me enough to give me tough love in those moments too where it's like you better sort your shit out you know, or you're going to lose everything. And, you know, um, and that really, really got me thinking, right. It's like, you know, what kind of life do I want to live? Like, what kind of legacy do I want? Like I, I bring this child into the world. I, you know, I played a role. And so it's like, what, you know, what is that story going to look like? How is this going to play out in the next 10, 20 years? Um, if I keep going down this, this path. Did you keep in touch with people from from the military? Did you cut ties? Did you make civvy friends? What did that look like? Yeah, you know, I I went through a time where it was I didn't talk to anybody. I was just like, you know, um, I didn't want to. I avoided people in the military, avoided um, buddies that I used to serve with. And actually, recently in the past few years, I've kind of just been reengaging with um, with guys because I think that you know veterans especially combat veterans um we think the same like it, we we have this sense of humor we have this camaraderie you know that you can't get anywhere else right and i do think um 
Yeah. As I've stopped running from the things inside my head, I've stopped running from, uh, my brothers that I served with. Right. And so that's, I think, you know, I've, I've come back full circle. I did go through a time where I avoided everyone, shut myself away. And, and I've come back to that because I believe it's an important part of the process of, of getting better. Totally. Why, uh, why do you think you shut yourself off like that? Have you, have you figured that out or? It's very easy to blame other people or blame the external influences on, on where you're currently at. Right. Very easy to do. I mean, we live in a culture that loves to do that victim and, you know, victim oriented culture. Right. And so I think that actually makes it really tough for veterans coming back because it's like, Oh, you know, you poor thing, you know, you have PTSD. It's like getting a terminal cancer diagnosis. Right. Um, but what they, what we should be focusing on is like, what's okay. These things happen to you. Yes. You're having a reaction, but what steps can you take today to make things better and not worse? Right. Cause I guarantee like if you're a vet sitting at home right now and you're struggling, no matter what you're doing, there's, there's things that you can do to make things worse. There's things that you can do to stay the same. And there's things that you can do to make things better. And sometimes they're just like little tiny things. Right. And I think it's important. I think the reason why I shut myself down was because I didn't want to face the things that I knew I needed to face if I was honest with myself, if I had the capacity and the courage to be honest with myself, because relating to other people is like a mirror, right? It's like other people show you more about you than, than sometimes you can tell yourself about you. Right. And so when I face other people, I'm, I'm forced with the reality of who I actually am. Did, did you have demons that you got through or were you always more of a straight edge guy? Oh dude, I had, demons like you wouldn't believe and and i had um i abused alcohol like you wouldn't believe as well like i was you know at a point where a turning point where i either like stopped or i was gonna die and you know i i just wanted the pain to stop and i didn't know how to how to stop it i wasn't really i wasn't willing or courageous enough to explore the options needed to stop it and so, um, what my journey is and, and fitness is a huge part of it. It really is because if you take something away, a, an unhealthy coping mechanism away, you got to add something into it. And it's something I learned with clients as a trainer. Like you can't take away somebody's, you know, junk food without giving them something, um, giving them some kind of other reward, maybe get a massage or something like that. You, you got to give something if you want to take it away. And, and for me, like, um, working out is something that I have a hundred percent control over. So like, I, I don't have control over a lot of, a lot of things in life. Right. And that drives me crazy as, as you know, someone that struggled, you know, when I got home, I mean, look at the world today, right? Like you, it's super easy to get stressed out looking at social media, looking at the world. And it's like, um, but I'm a hundred percent in control. If I get up and I do some push-ups or go for a walk or, that that is in my control, right? And, and so, and it prepares me for the challenges that that I may face. And and your body and mind and spirit are kind of all linked together, right? And and so, um, yeah, I wasn't always like that, but it, it became progressively. And this is the story of why I got into the fitness world is because it became such a huge part of who I was that I wanted to reach back inside. And there's, there's people, there's other people out there struggling with various things, right. Um, that benefit tremendously when you get them eaten properly, when you get them moving, 
you know, and, and things like that. And you start because it's the whole package of actually taking care of yourself and caring about yourself and, and, and preparing yourself. Right. And, um, the opposite is true with, with drinking and vices and stuff like that. That's like just destroying yourself. You, you know, it's a short term solution. I totally feel you, man. Like this is a, this is a theme that comes up a lot when we're, when we're chatting with vets. Um, so I myself uh, struggled with drinking uh, and with other vices as well. I feel like that when you feel overwhelmed and when you're having trouble, you know, connecting the dots with the way that you feel uh, about your deployment and, you know, what you had to do while you were there, you know, a lot of us, yourself included, myself included, we lost pals while we were there. Those are really heavy things to deal with. So I feel like a lot of times we reach for what's easy mm. and not always what's right. Yeah. And I think that's like kind of what we're, what we're getting at here. Right. Where it's like, mm-hmm. it is, it is hard to get up in the morning yeah. and say, I'm going to work on myself. It is yeah. easy, you know, to call a drug dealer or go down to the, you know, the LC or whatever and pick up yeah. a bottle of rye mm-hmm. and just check yeah, out. I right? agree. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, I was reading a book called uh, 12 rules for life by a guy named Jordan Peterson. And Great book. he's, He's, he, he has a chapter in there that says pursue what is meaningful, not what's expedient. Yep. Right. And, and expedient would be like getting hammered, like, you know, tearing into a case, falling on the floor, you know, like calling your friends up, starting, you know what, because you don't have the courage to call them sober, this and that. So it's, you know, we, we've kind of all been there. Uh, I mean, not all of us, but a lot of us have. And, yep. you know, I think, the flip side is true too, though, is I think that vets need, I think this is the one, the, the key to a lot of veterans getting better is they need to have something meaningful in their life. Because when we were overseas, we felt like we were doing something meaningful. And, and I think that's one of the most powerful things. One of the reasons why soldiers miss combat is because we felt like we were doing something meaningful and it could, it could mean something different for everyone. We, for whatever reason, we were willing to put ourselves on the line a hundred percent good, bad, ugly, whatever, we're, we're going to do this together or die trying. And, and then we get back and then like, it's like, Hey, I'm going to Walmart for some craft dinner. You know what I mean? And I'm going to like sit home, watch Netflix or, you know, like, where's the, where's the, the purpose here? Like, and I think that if we can help veterans, like find something meaningful to pursue and find it and retool their purpose in life and realize that, Hey, it didn't end in Afghanistan. I mean, that chapter may have been, but there's other things that you can find in your life that are very, very purposeful and meaningful that can help you get up in the morning and and give you that sense of, um, you know, I gotta, I gotta set myself up for success here. Yeah, man. You know, I think it's, so interesting how dangerous the military culture is in the sense that you know we get in and we're usually really young guys you know late teens early 20s and we came out of drinking at school and we went right back into drinking even harder in the military and it's i mean we got to admit it's fun like i look back yeah. at that it was a lot of fucking fun like, sure. I love to party. I love yeah. drinking, right? Yeah. Uh, but the problem is, the danger is when when it stops being fun and you don't realize it yet, right? Like That's it's true. At, at some point, it it's not 
fun anymore. You're not drinking, you're not partying because it's fun. You're drinking and partying to get away from something, to fill a hole, something like that. And it's so, so hard to know when that happened or when that is. Yeah, it's it's true. And and you pair that up with like like very low self-awareness, right? Oh very low self-awareness. Like, you know, if uh, one of the tools that they teach you, like counselors teach you is like, you know, what's going on inside? Like, it's like, first time someone asked me like, what are you feeling right now? It was like, they asked me something in Mandarin. <laughs> yeah, like, like, I don't know. It's like, I don't know, like feel, my heart is... <laughs> It's like, you know, that, that in 300 when he's like, you know, my heart is filled with hate and he looks at him, he says, good. So let's, uh, let's talk about deploying. Yeah. Um, what, what years were you overseas? What rotos were you on? 2006 and uh, 2008. And, um, you know, both of those tours were very, very different. And it was, you know, both times, unfortunately, I lost people. And, you know, 2006, it was, I was in an accident, lost a, lost a couple guys. First time out of the wire, right? It was like a horrible incident. And then, you know, I got this whole sense of, I got unfinished business over there. I got to get back over there. And, and that's not a really good reason to go back into combat because you don't really get more answers. You kind of get more questions. Yeah. sometimes and so yeah pair that up with crazy drinking and stuff like that but yeah that's that's the uh that's the kind of those are the two tours that i did and so you're uh, on both are very 306 and 108 right 306 and 108 yeah and Man, so can, can i just jump in there because what you said i thought was so profound that you don't get more answers you get more questions i don't i don't want it destroy the magic of that statement but i i also is is there something tangible to that like do you have any specific questions or do you just mean, mean it in like an existential sense and and i get that too yeah i think i wanted closure i wanted closure for the for the death of my of my friends and you know in some sense i want to make them proud of me or so, or something like that um because you know um tim wilson was a, a a guy in my life, he's one of the first people in my life that said, Oh, I believe in you. You know what I mean? And so like, I kind of wanted to go back there, prove myself and, and this and that, but then I ended up losing more friends. And, um, you know, I think what happened is I was looking for, um, I was looking for closure. I, I didn't really find the closure from the first one. And I, and I got more open-ended, more of the open-ended questions. I, I'm a person that really thinks like, philosophically so i can't i even as a soldier like i can't I, I think it's hard for me to do something without thinking about all the whys behind it so i try, can drive myself insane on a regular basis which has been known to been known to happen right but um yeah so i think that's what's behind that question is just my constant asking of why so what was uh what was your role on uh, 106 in 106, I was, we were still in G-Wagons. So I was like a G-Wagon gunner. <laughs> I was like a G-Wagon gunner. And the second one, I was in a, I was a lab gunner. So it was a little better. <laughs> Just a, bit. <laughs> a little bit better. But I think it, like the G-Wagons weren't as bad at the beginning because it was, um, you know, they weren't, 
utilizing IEDs as much because we we're still trying to figure each other out. Like it's like, you know, we'd show up, shoot each other, you know, and and kind of like we're looking at them, they're looking at us. And uh <laughs> you know, this the second one we had each other figured out and it was like you can drive two feet without getting blown up. So it was like you gotta have as much put as much armor between you and your asses humanly possible right so yeah those those are my two roles but you know what it's like being a soldier you do everything else in between oh for sure i mean you guys basically set up a brand new base like up uh up in the north right i mean yeah there must have been a lot of work that went into that i visited you guys yeah once when i was uh in recce platoon before i moved over to to bravo company yeah and that looked like a lot of work Frontenac, are you talking? Is that was that yeah. what it was called? Frontenac. Frontenac. Yeah. yeah, it was a lot of work, and you know, it was funny because like we thought we were gonna there was gonna be a lot more action up there, because they kept telling us like, hey, we're gonna see like you're gonna you gotta be careful, and there was like nothing, right? And so they had to send us back down south eventually anyway, because they're all they're getting let up on a daily basis, and we're like, you know, crushing DVDs and towers, and well, not in towers, but doing tower watch and, and, um, you know, working through people's DVDs. And I think one guy like had an ND and like, you know, almost shot himself in the toilet or something like that. Like that <laughs> we're just like too bored. Right. And, and eventually they're like, okay, you guys are going down South. This is enough. But we, yeah, we built it up. It was, it was a lot of work to get that set up, but it was kind of just like the tent up, tent down thing where it's like, Hey, tent up, you know, Oh, move it five feet over there. Tent down, you know, like, <laughs> I remember feeling uh, a lot of animosity towards Charlie company during like at the beginning. Yeah, yeah that's right. Like I was, yeah. I was like, my rotation was like Talakan, Zangabad, wow. Talakan's Zangabad spur, like over and over and over again. Like we built Talakan when I showed up there, it was like one layer of Hesco, empty Hesco above it. Yeah. Like our first, our first attack, our first, like when the, when the, when the rocket came in, uh, it it hit the first layer of Hesco, but I'm standing in front of empty Hesco, <laughs> firing away, going, "Oh my god, man! What I would I would die to be at front." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when you guys find like when you guys finally like the battle group was like, "All right, we're bringing Charlie down." I was like, "Oh, thank God, we've got like a whole uh, you know other company here." It was just wonderful from then on in, like having yeah. in rotation and being able to work together and seeing my old pals like you know Kaluski and. And Grenin and all the guys, like every once in a while, being like, "Yo, what's up?" It was super, super nice to get like reconnected. So it was a tough, uh, tough go for for everybody, both when it came to to boredom up north and yeah. just getting lit up every day. <laughs> yeah, I know you guys had it bad, and we're listening to the radios, right? And we're like, "Man, like we're listening to the crickets, right?" I think we got one rocket fired at us, and it was like, I like seen it launch like a shooting star over like over our camp. It was like nowhere near us, right? And so we're like, man, we got to get, we got to, and of course we, we all have friends and brothers over there. We're like, no, we got to get out there and, and do some work with you guys. No, it was awesome by the end of the tour when everybody yeah. was all together. It was great. Exactly. Kicking ass. Um, when did you first uh, realize that uh, you had PTSD or you had some, some mental health issues? Yeah, I knew I knew after 106 that that something wasn't right. I don't know if I would have called it PTSD at that point. Like I, I wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have, because I didn't 
really know. Um, and I wasn't going to talk to anybody because I wanted to get on 108. So <laughs> I didn't want, I didn't want to, uh, uh, get flagged on that. So I wanted to go back and, um, but when I got back, I definitely knew something was really broken. Uh, and I wasn't, I was very confused of what it was. And I felt like I was out of control in my life. Um, in a lot of ways I was feeling a lot of anxiety and yeah, it, it was, um, I, it was after 108 for sure. And then, um, I started to, to seek help, uh, and seek professional help and stuff like that. And it was a mess. It was a mess. Yeah. Who'd you reach out to? Well, I think first of all, it was my wife. that's like, you know, I'm taking you to the doctor or something like that. Like she took me into the family doctor and, and, um, and yeah, and, and people were trying, and I, I saw a psychiatrist, I saw counsel, I saw everybody pretty much. And, you know, um, trying to get me to talk was, was these people were trying their hardest to get me to talk to them. Right. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't talking to them. And if I was, I was, I didn't trust anybody at that point in my life. And so that's something that I don't think it's talked about much in the, in the vet or not enough is the lack of trust. Cause that can really affect your relationships uh, even with your spouse and stuff like that is like, it's just well in Afghanistan, right? It serves us well in combat. You want to trust people too easy. That'll get you killed. You want to question things, right? But that can lead to being paranoid. That can lead to you being trustful in relationships and mistrust people that want to help you. And that's where I was at. I was, I didn't trust anyone enough to talk to them about what was really going on. So you said your 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 wife basically forced you to see somebody. Uh, <laughs> did, did you did you admit it to her, or were you like kicking and screaming the entire time? I knew there was something wrong too. Like I, I knew that you know she was just saying what she noticed, but you know I was really feeling it on the inside, um, perhaps more than than even she noticed. And so I went in willingly, um, you know. Um, but I will say this, that at the beginning, I wasn't being honest with myself or other people. I wasn't being truly honest with, with myself or other people. So no one could really help me at the beginning. I know exactly what you're talking about, man. Like I had myself so fooled. Like, Really? Yeah. When you're young, man, you're yeah. like, I'm invincible. Uh, you know, I thought that it was normal the way that I was coping with things. I was, you know, using drugs and, and booze. And I was yeah. like, this is normal. This is what vets look like. Cause that's what you see on TV. That's not normal. That's no. not normal at all. That's right. Yeah. Man, I still have trust issues, like massive, yeah. massive trust issues. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right about the paranoia, right? Which is that in certain situations, you got you have this feedback, mm -hmm. you have this this uh, feedback that yeah this saved my life or this was a really good call and mm -hmm. to kind of ignore those instincts for the rest of your life in these situations where you know maybe it's not such a good thing to be so paranoid uh, that's that's hard that's really really hard. I still struggle with it because you know what happens I think is it's a little bit of a reward feedback loop so it's like you're paranoid all the time and you're looking at the world, not trusting people. And then you see somebody that deserves not to be trusted. And then you're like, aha, I was right. 
you, you know what I mean? You pricks, you stupid. Nobody else saw this except for me. I'm the only, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm a genius. And, and, and so then you're like, and then when I'm a little right, when I'm in my most dangerous place, because then I'm looking at the world through that. I'm like, I'm completely justified now to be a paranoid lunatic or whatever you want to call it. And, and I can look at the world through that lens and be like, you know, I misjudge people that have given me no reason not to trust them. And relationships are built on trust. So if you don't, you can't trust anyone, you can't have any proper relationships, right? Yeah. So how did, uh, how did PTSD uh, change your life? Like, you know, we're talking about how the lack of trust probably hurt relationships. Uh, how was your sleep and your energy and your passions? And we talked, we touched a little bit on your worldview as well. Like, did you become nihilistic, you know? Do you want to unpack that a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. I went through, uh, I went through my tours as a Christian and I had faith, um, you know, and so like when I, when I lost friends, you know, a bunch, I had a bunch of uh, big questions, big existential questions. And it was like, you know, um, and I had a lot of doubts and it's a lot of things I had to work through, right? Like, you know, where is God and all this or, you know, many people have those existential questions, whether that they frame them like that or not. And so, um, you know, yeah, I, 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 um, I think that it brought up a lot of things like that, um, with me. And, and, you know, I, I think that, I don't know if I was necessarily nihilistic, um, but I was very, um, angry, I was very angry at the world. I was very angry at myself. And, um, you know, uh, I blame myself for a lot of things. It was like, I was angry for, for, um, things that I did or didn't do overseas. So then I would like self-medicate and then I'd be angry at myself for self-medicating. And then, you know, it would just cruise loops over and over and over again. And, you know, I had to figure out a way to get some positive direction, positive control. Cause it was just, it was a nightmare. So Matt was telling me a little bit about uh, a book that you wrote, uh, you know, about your tour. Could you tell us a bit about that? You know, what, uh, what prompted you? Why, why did you think it was so important to, to write this? Was it for yourself? Was it for other people? Yeah, it was, I think it was more for myself. It was more of a, you know, um, just a way to get thoughts out on a piece of paper. And at the time, that was probably the only thing that I could do that wasn't self-productive. And so, um, you know, I, I wrote out a bunch of things. In hindsight, do I wish I would have did it? Um, would I do it again? Probably not. I probably would have kept it to myself because it, just, it was me processing. I was still in the processing phase of everything, right? And so I was still trying to process everything. I was still trying to figure it out. Um, and, you know, a lot of times with the big questions, the answers don't manifest themselves until way down the road sometimes if you ever think about yourself it's like five years ago and you're like i can't believe i was thinking like that like you know i can't believe i was thinking like that and i think some of the big lessons um take time and um it takes just doing the little things every single day and moving yourself in the direction that you think that you should go even if it's just even if it's just a small direction or at the very least not making things worse. And that adds up over, over a period of time. And then it can give you perspective when you look back and, and be like, okay, like 
you know, um, you know, now I've reconciled my faith with what has happened overseas. Now I've, I'm, I'm able to live a life. I've realized that, you know, one of the biggest questions I was asking is like, why, why them and not me? Why, how, how come I was allowed to, to make it out of the, out of there? And I'm sure maybe some of you guys have asked that question or dealt with it in some way, shape or form. Totally. You know, I realized that some of these questions are too big for me to answer and, and it's not my job. It's not my place. And I've just, I've just let them go. Right. I've let them go. And, and I've, I've tried my best to live my life the best that I can. So would you say that that's a big lesson for you letting go and, and do you have any other big lessons that you've kind of come to terms with or, or recognized after the fact? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say letting go and, and, and taking responsibility. The, the huge thing that I see with, with some veterans that I talk to is if they're stuck in a place, they're always talking about what happened to them. Um, veterans affairs is, is screwing me over, you know, this and that. And, and so, okay, that stuff may or may not be true, but what, what is true is that you blame someone else for your at, you can't go anywhere because you've taken all your power away. Because you've empowered them to, to say, okay, those people can put me where I'm at right now. But if you say to yourself, look, I'm here because of the choices that I made. I'm 100% taking responsibility of my life. Then all of a sudden you have control of your future. If you don't have control of your present state, then how do you have control over your future? Do you think it's just magically going to like, oh, here you go. Here's your power back universe. You know, it's like, here you go. Here you go, bud. You know what I mean? Like, wake up and the fairy dust, you know, comes all over your bed and you wake up and say, I can (laughs) change the direction of my life today. It's not going to happen. Right. It's like, you got to own where you're at right now. So if you're sitting at home drinking, if you're like disillusioned with the world and you're pissed off and you're angry, then start making better choices. Start tomorrow or start right now and make, do the next best thing. And, and so it's extreme ownership. I don't know if you guys have read that book by Jocko uh, Wilning. No, tell us about it. It's a great book. He's an ex-Navy SEAL uh, team lead, um, personal development book. He does stuff with business guys all the time. Um, but he's, it's all about taking ownership of your situation and where you're at. The chapter, I love the, the, the title of the chapter because it says there's no bad teams. There's only bad leaders. And so they did a, they did a, a experiment on SEAL training where they had the same, they had these dinghies and these crews and these one guy was leading them. And they would race these boats up and down and they would switch the leaders up. Right. So there would be one boat that would always be winning and one boat that would always be losing. And you think it would be the crew's fault, right? Well, they'd switch the leader up and then the, 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 the boat with the stronger leader would always win with whatever crew they put them in. And so that just highlights like the personal power that you got over your life. Because I mean, like, you know, I don't know who's in your dinghy, your family, maybe it's just you and your dog or whatever, but you got control over it, right? You're leading, you're, you are a leader. The question is like, are you a good one, bad one? Are you taking ownership of where you're at and your, and your trajectory, right? And so that, that's my biggest lesson in life personally is responsibility because I was being a victim for a lot of years and, and miserable and, and it didn't work for me. You still have bad days? Oh, yeah yeah but <laughs> absolutely no i don't no no it's <laughs> <That's> great <laughs> yeah that's great no dude yeah i do 
what do those look like? Like, are they, are they as bad? Do, do things get as bad as, you know, years ago? No, not as bad as years ago, but I, they feel pretty bad when they're, when I'm in them, they feel pretty bad when I'm in them. And, you know, I feel like, um, you see, like I I'm equipped with tools now. Like, I think that doing the work, um, and actually trying some things out and developing myself has given me a set of tools and I'm going to have bad days. Like it's a part of, it's a part of me. Right. And, um, but the, the way I cope with it is way different now. And, and so it's, and, and the time that I spend down is very, very low. Like I won't spend like a week down, you know, maybe two days or something like that. Um, but I can turn a corner pretty quickly and, though the the thing that helps me with that is being honest with myself is um you know being honest about what i'm doing where i'm at and then going back to the ownership thing taking responsibility for for it you've done a lot of work on yourself what does a good day look like now a good day like so i don't have these extremes like i used to ride from like hey like i'm a horrible human being um piece of crap you know what i mean getting hammered and you know yeah and then i'd have amazing days i'd be like the superstar like saint you know um that th- th- that was my my own you know um view on it right and i've learned to just kind of be more even like in the middle like um you know freud like the famous psychiatrist he talks about the shadow your shadow right like and we all have the shadow part of our personality, right? And, and part of the work that he did was integrate that shadow into who you are. It's not to eliminate the shadow because that actually leads to more problems, but it's about being an integrated person. So I'm trying to take the lessons I learned, the darkness that's inside me, all that stuff, and just kind of, you know, bring it into who I am every single day. So I'm not like, I'm not, my day, my life doesn't look like up and down, up and down, up and down. It's more kind of balanced have you found meaning in things that at least kind of compare to what you had? Are you still far, you know, far away and searching for it? What does that look like for you? Yeah, that's a great, that's a really good question actually. And, you know, um, I have Jordan Peterson to thank for this, excuse me, because he kind of mapped it out how to do it. And it's like, basically take the heaviest possible thing that you can do that you're equipped to do and take it on right? You know, step up and, and fight the dragon, right? That's what you're created to do, right? And so whatever has like, naturally, we like to avoid the the hard things in life, the the hard things that we may be called to do. And if you can embrace that to the degree that you can embrace that or embrace the chaos of the world that you must step into, then, then that's where you're going to find your meeting. Get out there and kick some ass, like take something on um, take something on that you may lose at. Take something on that like may you know destroy you or something like that. You gotta you gotta step into the chaos. You gotta take some risk. What's what's your next dragon? Like what's what, what's looking forward? What challenges are you? <laughs> yeah, tell tell us about this journey that you're on. So so basically, like um, our family, our entire family, we got three boys. My wife and I were staying in an Airbnb right now. We sold our home during a pandemic. Um, to take a position at the dome in, in Red Deer, Alberta. And it's, it's uh, run by athletes, um, CEOs and ex NHL player. Um, and, you know, I'm going to be a, a strength and conditioning coach here. 
and they had a big vision. They had, um, they're going to be getting world-class equipment. I think it's going to be one of the best, um, places in Canada, um, for strength and conditioning. Just, just, I know what they're ordering, what they're, what we're doing here. And, um, and we made the move. We don't have a house here. We're, we're looking right now actively. I'm sitting in front of me. I have like 10 different properties I'm looking at. Um, you know, we're having to mask up as we go into houses and, um, you know, the place I'm working at isn't even open yet because of the restrictions. Right. But, um, so there's no guarantees there. This, this may like, and this thing was, uh, opened in, in the fall. Right. So it's, um, not proven yet, but we're out here to prove it and, and we're out here to make it happen. And, um, there's a great team. There's a great team of people. I got excited about the vision. I got excited about the people and, um, we just took the step of faith and, and moving from Nova Scotia to Alberta, you know, crazy. it's crazy. It's crazy, man. With three kids, like it's crazy. So, like, where did you stay on the way? Like, did and what's open? Like, could you? I don't know. Grab a burger or something. Not that you'd want that, obviously. Like, but well, you got to You got to do what you got to do <laughs> on the road, right? But it's it's yeah. We we made it, and I mean, the hotels were open. I mean, that's considered considered essential. So. um you know, uh, we drove through Northern Ontario. I had a big U-Haul trailer and, uh, um, because I actually lost my moving benefits at the military because my, I was in Nova Scotia and I didn't sell my house in time. And so I lost the benefits. And so I didn't sit around crying because they pulled my benefits. I tried to appeal it to everybody I possibly could, but they don't care about you after you're gone. It's like, no. you know what I mean? Like it's going right into the shredder every time, every, if I send a memo in. <laughs> and so, um, but we made it happen. We filled like my stuff. Most of our stuff is in Edmonton right now. Um, so we're in a little bit of chaos right now. We, we don't have like, we don't have a home, you know, um, my wife's a little agitated. I'm a little agitated because it's just that feeling of not having a home. You got kids and all that stuff um, and buying in such an uncertain time. Right. So, um, and going into an, another venture, right. In an uncertain time. So it's, um, but this is where this is what life's all about, right? It may, it, you know what I mean. We may do this, we may not. But I can promise you this: I will get back up again, and I will try something else if this does not work. So, um, because that's the lessons that I learned from this whole process is, you know what? Sometimes you get knocked down, but there's nothing stopping me except for me from getting back up again and swinging the bat, yeah, man. and and trying to kick some ass again. So, yeah. Did you stay at the Shiloh Inn on your way through, or <laughs> I, I bypassed that one? I bypassed the Shiloh Inn. Probably smart. Probably yeah, smart. Yeah, probably enough. smart. Bring back old memories. <laughs> I might have been in the lounge a little too long, or something like that. <laughs> That's fair. I, I kind of don't even remember that place actually. So uh, this is one question we ask everybody at the end. Uh, sure. Are you a member of the Royal Canadian Legion, and why or why not? No, I'm not actually, I'm not a member of the Legion and uh, you know, I don't have any strong feelings either way. Like I did not like their stance on um, new veterans charter. Yeah. Yeah. New veterans charter. Um, but I don't know too much about that. Um, I'm willing to embrace and look where they're at and stuff like that. Just something I haven't really had the time to do. Um, but yeah, I'm not a member presently of the, of the Legion and it's not because of any strong feelings. I mean, I did kind of disagree with what they, what they said, but you know, I can be friends with people I disagree with. I'm, I'm not, you know, despite what everyone else does nowadays, I don't really care if I have friends that think differently than me. 
Well, everyone, that wraps season two, episode one of Veteran X. We're so glad to be back. And although it takes us a bit of time in between episodes now with the pandemic, uh, we are back. We are looking for more veterans to interview. So send us a note on Facebook at Veteran X. And we're looking forward to talking to you next time. On behalf of Mache and I, thanks, Nate. We really appreciate the discussion today. And we're glad to be back. Thank you.